Thanks, Micah, for that update as well. It's good to see you, Shelton. God is doing wonderful things in us and among us, and we give him thanks for that, uh, for we get to serve our great God as one body of Christ. Uh, This morning, we continue our studies in our Advent series, and today's theme is joy, as you might have noticed already. And in one sense, what an ironic theme and topic that is when you think about it. What if you go to a comedy, stand-up comedy to some place, and the comedian gets up, and all you want, you want to comedy show, you want to laugh, you want to be joyful, and you want to be happy. And rather than comedian cracking jokes, all of a sudden he goes up and say, today we want to talk about philosophy of comedy. Today, we want to talk about history of comedy. Let me tell you how comedy has progressed over the centuries. You'll be like, what are we doing? I just want to be happy. I just want to be joyful. Then why in the world are we talking about history of comedy? It would be very nonsense. In a sense, talking about joy can feel like that. You just want to be happy. You just want to be joyful. And why in the world are we talking about it and preaching on this topic? Uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of the well-known Puritan, in his well-known sermon, A Divine and Supernatural Light, said the following, There is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. A man may have the former, but knows not how honey tastes. But a man cannot have the latter unless he has an idea of the taste of honey in his mind. What Edward is saying is a completely different thing to talk about properties of sweetness, properties of sweet, than for you to actually take a spoonful of honey and taste it on your own. I sincerely hope and pray that you will get to taste the joy of life What good is it for us to just talk about properties of joy? What good is it for us to just talk about what joy is unless we get to experience that? Obviously, I cannot manufacture that in your heart for you. I know you're longing for joy. I know we want to be happy. But only God can pierce through the heart and make you experience the sweetness of joy. At the same time, Unless we talk about it, you won't even know where to find the joy. Because we try to find the joy in all kinds of wrong places. We don't know how to find joy. And when actually joy comes, we don't even know how to recognize it properly. So today we want to take time to really talk about what Christian joy is all about. And perhaps some of you out there feeling, you're like, Ah, joy, yeah, right. Don't you know how miserable my life is right now? Jin, you have no no idea how difficult my life is. You have no idea what kind of week I just have been through. This month has been terribly difficult time. I am there with you. (laughs) And last thing you want to talk about is joy in one sense. I specifically remember, I think I was in high school. I don't even remember what the exact situation was, but I had just terrible week and terrible month. So I'm like, God, 
I just want to cry. Let me go to church to be comforted by the music and the people and the word proclaimed. Well, misery is better with company in the end of the day, right? So I just want somebody to comfort me. I went to church. Maybe people sympathized with my miserableness. And the worship leader gets her first song we sing. is, oh, happy day, happy day. And I'm like, I'm not having it. Uh, perhaps some of us feel like that. Jane, life is so hard. Joy is the last thing. I'm not happy. Well, perhaps you want to be well. That innate desire for joy, innate desire to be well, underneath of it all that, you are actually really searching for Jesus. And joy cannot be found by pursuing joy itself. It's always a byproduct. When the scripture talks of blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who seek after righteousness, blessed are those whose hearts are clean, that blessed is the word for joy, happy. It never says blessed are those who seek after blessedness. So I pray that as you seek Jesus, in your search and longing, I pray that you recognize that you are not just seeking for momentary eclipse, but actually in your desire for happiness, you are longing for something transcendent, something that will not fade away, something that is permanent, constant. You are searching for Jesus. So I pray that you will seek him, and I pray that he will find you in your longing for joy as we dive in together in the word of God. Will you open up the word of God? Today's word is from John chapter 16. John chapter 16, 20 to 24. If you have the word of God, you can follow along with me. If not, the words will be also up in the screen. John chapter 16, 20 to 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Today, we want to talk about three things about joy. First, in this passage, we will explore the nature of joy, what joy is all about. We will spend majority of time doing that. And second, we will also talk about the promise and the power of joy, what the joy actually offers to us. And lastly, how to actually get that joy. So the nature of joy, power and promise of joy, and how to get that joy. So first, the nature of joy. When you see how Jesus begins this section in verse 20, he says, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. 
you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. What is Jesus talking about here? If you just look at the verse before to understand its broader context, it says that in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Jesus is talking about his time between crucifixion and resurrection. When the crucifixion of Jesus happens to disciples, their hope has died. They will grieve. Things are not going as they expected. But three days later, when Jesus rides again, when he conquers the grave, they will rejoice for the victory has won. So Jesus is talking about in this momentarily you will grieve and your life will be filled with sorrow. But when you see me, the resurrected king, your heart will rejoice. Why? Because Jesus is risen. Our hope is alive. What does this teach us first and foremost? That the joy, the promised joy, is at the center of the gospel story. A joy is not just a peripheral or marginal aspect of the gospel, but because of Jesus has dies, but he has conquered death and rose again, we can have this joy. Luke 2.10 tells us, and angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. For Christian, joy is at the center of its gospel story. What does that really imply to us today? For Christian, joy is not optional, but essential. If joy is really at the center of gospel story, joy is not optional, but it's essential. It is guaranteed. What does verse 22 say here? Jesus says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Do you see the promise of its guarantee of joy that it's essential? No one will take away your joy because you have seen the resurrected king, resurrected Messiah. Now, we read this, we know this intellectually, but in deep in our hearts says, yeah, right. Uh, you have no idea. Joy, I get that the joy is possible, but that does not make me elated. I'm not singing and dancing for joy right now. Sure, I know that Jesus died for me. Jesus rose again. But life is still hard. I'm not getting any excited about this. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. But what good is that for me? My, I'm not uh, any happy anymore. Don't you know my life is still filled with the problems that I have to fix? Flat tires, uncertain futures all the to-do lists that you have to do this afternoon while you're busy even finding time to take a nap. There's always problems that our hearts tend to fixate upon. While we intellectually know uh, that Jesus died for us and he rose again, that should cause us great joy. We believe that. Thank you, Jesus. Let me move on to my problem. When we give all our focus and attention to the circumstance, and we will often voluntarily forfeit our joy before we even know it. And if you are a hammer, all you see is the nails, right? It's, everything is a problem that you must solve. If you solve this problem, next problem, next problem, next problem, one after one after one, we give our whole heart to the circumstances. Because let's admit it, life is filled with problems. 
There are many difficulties, but because our circumstantial focus, our heart never learns, never learns to recalibrate itself to learn how to rest in the promise of God. Jesus has died for us. Our cosmic death has been wiped away. Our promised future is to come. But rather than resting our hearts in the reality, rather than saturating our mind and thinking out, praying out its implication, we are so busy just taking care of one after one after one. Joy, Chelton, is not a default human condition. You have to work for it, fight for it, to learn, to recalibrate your heart because we tend to give our hearts to all the surrounding circumstances. And what's the result of that? Our hearts are heavy. I've heard people saying, especially in Northeast more than anywhere else, that often one of the phrases that I hear a lot is like, I am tired. And oftentimes, yes, people have come to realize that they mean by they are physically tired. But more than that, actually, as I got to hear them more realize what they really mean by underneath when they say they are tired is they are emotionally and spiritually exhausted. They just are drained by drip by drip, feel like there's nothing left to go on. As a result, our hearts are so heavy. But what is really Christian joy all about then? And Pastor Tim Keller defines joy as the spiritual buoyancy, the gospel buoyancy, the lightness of heart that goes beyond circumstances. 2 Corinthians 4 8 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Even though there are difficulties and sorrow, even though pressure's all over us, even though it affects us, there is some sort of gospel buoyancy that gives us, makes us alive. There's lightness of your heart. Why? Because you know the promised outcome. Jesus has died and he is risen again. But we abandon that and we give our hearts to so many circumstances. I am no exception, Shelton. Um, I specifically remember uh, what one of my professors told me when I was attending seminary in Dallas days. That one professor just looked at us straight in our eyes in the class and said, you know, you are here at seminary because you want to go in ministry, but you know what? You guys are the one actually who should be the last person to ever enter in ministry. You just could not reckon with your sins that you had to come to seminary to wrestle with that. You never learn to rest your heart before the Lord. You're always so busy trying to figure it out. Oh, man, that struck a chord within me. He was right. I actually didn't really go to seminary initially to be a pastor. I had this wrestling issue. God, I need an answer. I need to come to find out. And as I went there, as I was wrestling with God, I'm realizing, God, you're right. I never learned to rest in you. My heart is just so busy always trying to figure out one after one, and where can I find a promised rest? Uh, Shelton, until you find your heart rest in the bigger things rather than just within you, you will never be able to experience true rest. As the famous song lyric says, the weary world rejoices. How does that happen? Because they know the yonder breaks 
and the glorious morn, our Lord has come to save us. That's how the weary world and weary heart can rejoice. But oftentimes, we are so sucked into our circumstances. So now, having said all that, what is Christian joy that we are talking about today? What is that? Let me give you my working definition of what Christian joy is all about. Christian joy is not circumstantial joy, but it is the byproduct of resting our hope in the promise of God. Let me say it one more time. Christian joy is not circumstantial joy, but it is the byproduct of resting our hope in the promise of God. We have been saying it over and over. Jesus has come, and he will come again. This is the promise of God. Because we know that it will be well, today we can say it is well. Because we know the promised outcome. Christian joy is learning how to rest our hope in the promised outcome, the promise of God. Because we know that all will be well, today we can say even in our weary soul, we can learn to say it is well. So Christian joy is not like hee-hee-ha-ha-ho-ho, but it's, not like, it's like subterranean river that flows within your heart, that deep underneath your heart you say it will be well. It's going to be all right. He's going to come and make every wrong right. So today in my sorrow, in my difficulty, I learned to rest in the promise of God. Do you have that joy within you? Do you have the firm conviction that will result in the lightness of your soul? We get so sucked in, oh, oh, I have to do this, do this, do that. But when that happens, Chelton, this week, right now, take just one step back. Whatever it takes, take a walk. Really saturate your mind what Jesus has done for you until it begins to melt your heart to the degree that you really saturate yourself into the story of Christmas, why Jesus has come, why Jesus has died, to the degree that it begins to melt your heart, you will begin to experience the buoyancy, the lightness, the spiritual buoyancy of your soul today. Don't you want that this firm, calm, subterranean river flows within your soul? I want that equilibrium, that Christian joy in my life. So now, having said all that, let me further clarify. What is the opposite of joy? All right? Uh, if Christian joy is really learning to rest our hope in the promise of God, what would be opposite? What differentiates Christian joy from worldly joy is that opposite of joy is not sadness. Opposite of joy is not sorrow, grief, suffering or pain but really opposite of christian joy is hopelessness let me really explain what i mean by that do you see even in this text how much grief and sorrow and joy overlap one another verse 20 now you will grieve but your grief will turn to joy verse 22 now is your time of grief but i'll see you again and you will rejoice if you look at pauline letters second corinthians 6 sorrowful yet always rejoicing. What? Sorrow and joy can dwell together? 1 Peter 1, 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What? How does suffering and joy can dwell together? 
James 1, to consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Romans 5, 3. We also rejoice in our sufferings. What? For Christian joy, suffering, sorrow, sadness, and pain, joy are not mutually exclusive. But oftentimes, actually, we'll find it together so many times in the scripture, even in this passage that we are reading. So what is true opposite of joy then? It is hopelessness. If true joy is learning, it's the byproduct of resting our hope in the promise of God. When there's no hope in you, when you cannot say that it will be well, you cannot say it is well today. If you're deep down in your soul says that it will be well, it will be all right, Jesus has promised the good to me, then you learn to say it is well today because we know our outcome is secure. But when you don't have that hope, you will have no joy. Joy is a byproduct. Um, uh, let me address to those actually who are searching for the meaning of life in this gathering today. Perhaps you have really never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. In fact, you're searching for the meaning of life. Perhaps you're here today because you want to be happy. You just want to be joyful. Oh, and you say, if you come to Christian, somehow I, somebody told me if I trust in Jesus, I'll be happy. Everything will be all right. I'm sorry to give you bad news. No. Uh, we know the promised outcome but in fact, when you become Christian, you'll soon come to realize that you will, yes, become far more happier because you know the promised outcome. At the same time, you will become far more sadder because you know this world is not what it's meant to be. It's so broken as it is right now. You learn to grieve far more, yet also learn to rejoice far more. So I've, I've found a lot of people want to become Christian because they want to be happy. Uh, but don't come to Christianity. Christianity does not offer ibuprofen for you. It's not a painkiller. But you will learn to carve that out and work it through in the presence of God. Just like our friend C.S. Lewis says, don't come to Christianity because it's comforting. Come to it because it is true. If Jesus had truly come that we celebrate in this Advent season, and Jesus had truly died for our sins and rose again and promised that he will return. He is worthy of your worship and he is worthy of your trust. And that reality will give you calm, assurance, joy in the middle of all the longings that you have. Don't you want to be happy? I know you desire to be joyful. You want to be happy. But underneath your desire for longing for happiness, you are seeking Jesus. Jesus, the end of our longing. Because you have been there. You thought, if only I have this, I'll be happy. You got there just six months later. Why? My heart is still not happy. It was just a momentary eclipse. You are seeking something transcendent, the permanence, and you are seeking Jesus in your heart. So I pray that you continue to consider the case of Christianity, what Jesus Christ has done for you. So now we talked about what true joy is, that it is a byproduct of resting our hope in God. It's the essential part of the gospel story. And the opposite of joy is not sorrow, grief, or pain, but hopelessness. What do I mean by that? I cannot illustrate that any better than Jewish psychotherapist who lived during the time of World War II named Viktor Frankl during the Nazi time. 
He was imprisoned in a concentration camp, and as a psychotherapist, he observed a lot of prison inmates. And believe it or not, he realized a lot of prison mates were relatively hopeful and joyful, even in the middle of impending death. And he has come to realize because they were all looking for something. They had this hope that the only day of liberation comes. If only day of liberation comes, life will be okay. Because of they had that hope, they were able to persevere through. But to his surprise, when the finally day of liberation came, a lot of those resilient prisoners who endured the Holocaust all fell in great depression. Why? Day of liberation came, but it was not enough. And they had no longer anything to look forward to. When they lost hope, they lost everything. Even in the middle of worst circumstances, they were able to carry through, hopeful and joyful, because they had something to hope for. But when their hope is lost, they had lost for the will of life. So in a sense, true opposite of joy is hopelessness. Then now, what is the kind of fake version of joy then? It seems like it's joy. It seems like, man, if you only, this is what joy is about. It seems like it, it smells like it, it acts like it. But in the end, it's not. It only actually leaves you more empty, more dry, more longing. It's the fake version, the counterfeit of joy. It's momentary elation, momentary pleasure that comes from gift, not the giver. The momentary elation that comes from the gift, not the giver. What do I mean by that? Uh, no matter um, how lovely your diamond ring, the wedding ring is in your life, the reason why it's so beautiful and meaningful to you is not the gift in itself, but because of the giver. What the giver means to you in your life. But if you only fixate on that diamond ring more than fixating on the one who gave you the gift, it will create havoc in your life. When you focus, give all the attention to the gift more than the giver, blessings more than the blessor, you think the happiness, joy is found in the gift but in the end, it will leave you more empty and more dry. Didn't you desperately want the promotion, Shelton? Man, if only I get the promotion, the gift that you desperately seek for. You got it. Six months later, what happened? You thought it would satisfy you? You now only want more. You thought, if only I get that promotion, if only I get that raise, if only. Six months later, you're like, why am I still empty miserable? What is that you are desperately seeking? They're seeking in the gift more than learning to rejoice in the giver of the gift. So really, a counterfeit of joy is the jolt. It might act like it will give you that shock, momentary elation, but it leaves you empty and more hungry, more empty than ever before. What is that for you today? What is the counterfeit that you are desperately seeking today? Perhaps you are trying to find that in the well-doing of your health. As good as it is when your health fails, what are you going to do? You cannot depend your joy in that. It's the fake promise that will never deliver in the end. Many of you know the actor Matt Damon, who starred in Saving Private Ryan, Good Will Hunting, just many born identity. Yeah, action movies. I don't know what you love the most out of all those. Uh, he won the kind of summit, the pinnacle of actor, Oscar, in such a young age, 27. 
But when he came out to the British talk show, the Nor Graham Norton Show on September 15, 2015, the Graham asked him, how was it to win Oscar at such a young age? And it, he gave a quite an unexpected answer. He won the Oscar with Good Will Hunting. He said that after he won the Oscar, the pinnacle of it all, he stayed up all night. And then after everyone went to bed, he set that Oscar trophy in a coffee table. And this is what he said. Thank God I didn't kill anybody over this. Imagine chasing Oscar all your life and finally getting it in your 80s and 90s with all of life behind and realizing what an unbelievable waste of life that is. It cannot fill you up. It will never fill you up. If that's the hole you have in your heart, it won't fill it. He said he was rather grateful that he won that young age to realize that, that that's empty. There's no promised rest in there. But oftentimes, you so pursue after the gift more than pursuing the giver of the good gift. It's the counterfeit, the momentary relation that comes from focusing on a gift, what the gift gives, rather than who the giver is. Watch out for that because we tend to do that. Uh, ancient philosopher, mathematician, Blaise Pascal summarized this really well. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. This is actually a paraphrase, more easier version of what Pascal said. That's how he said more like infinite whole abyss in our hearts that can only be filled by God. So what are you seeking today, children? Are you seeking joy or jolt? What are you seeking after today? Jolt will leave you more dry and empty. You'll be not knowing what to do, and it always makes you more hungry, more miserable. Second thing we learn from this passage then, what is the power and the promise of joy then? When you look at verse 21 here, Jesus used the metaphor of pregnancy to talk about grief and joy. Jesus could have talked about the metaphor of such as illness, right? If it's illness, then the absence of the cause of the pain, the virus goes away, becomes the source of joy. If it's, Jesus used the metaphor of such as illness, the absence of the very cause of the pain becomes the reason for joy. But pregnancy is different. The very cause of pain is also the very cause of joy, right? Oh, when you're pregnant, the delivery pain and all is excruciating. But when you see your baby, you rejoice. The very cause and also the cause of sorrow and joy is the same reason. Likewise, Jesus used the pregnancy metaphor to explain, as it is in the childbirth, for Christian, the suffering is also necessary because you know how to suffer, you also know how to rejoice today. The very source of suffering is also when you suffer well in the Lord, you also learn to rejoice in Him, in this broken world that we are living in today. So why are you grieving and suffering today, Chelton? If it's like a virus, the illness that Jesus used, then the absence of the cause will be the cause for rejoicing. That would be like sins in your life, right? When Jesus says, blessed are those whose hearts are clean, the guilt conscience will rob your joy from the Lord. What is your hidden sin that no one knows about? When you are actively indulging in sinful life, whether it be thoughts or deed, 
will forfeit all the joys in the Lord. Because just like until the virus is taken away, virus of sin is taken away, you will never be able to learn to rejoice. But when you are suffering well in the Lord, you will also learn to rejoice in the Lord. Just like Isaiah 35 says, And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their head. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and singing will flee away. Children, the promised joy is coming today. Will you take heart? Suffer well in the name of Jesus. Jesus is telling to this disciple who, will about, who are about to suffer incredible amount of suffering in the name of the Lord. Some of them will be crucified upside down. Some of them will be torn apart. Their forelimbs will be torn apart. They go through excruciating pain, but say sorrow may last for a while, but promised joy comes in the morning. So what is it? May I ask this question to you? How's your heart, children? Is it filled with a sorrow or pain? What is it? But will you take heart? Will you learn to say it is well because you know it will be well? No matter what it is, the joy comes in the morning. Grief may tarry for the night, but there is promise joy comes in the morning. Hold your heart for that. Lastly, then how to get this joy? Read verse 23 and 24. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Have you asked before the Lord whatever you're going through? I have realized that I have prayed. I have, Jen. I come to realize that also when people say, as much as we claim that we are praying about it, functionally speaking, I realize that we are worrying about it more than we are praying about it. We spend 10 hours worrying about it, 10 minutes praying about it. But have you really gone before the Lord? Children, if joy is byproduct, you cannot say, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, God make me happy. It doesn't work that way. The Bible never says blessed are those who are blessed. Blessed are those who seek after blessedness. But blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those whose hearts are clean. Have you gone before the Lord, really begging before him, interceding? I remember, some of you know my testimony. There are a few like, three, four events that dramatically shifted my life story. What I'm about to share is one of them. I think many of you are aware, some of them you are, might not be aware. Uh, my father has been faithfully pastoring this small town country church over 30 years. Um, less than 100 people, humble church, but he's been faithfully serving the man I admire and respect the most. Our church, just like us, we have kind of daycare and kindergarten ministry partner with the church. So my mom has been serving there as a teacher and a principal last 30 years as well. They are still going. Um, praise God for them. But I remember around my third grade to sixth grade especially, there was one family moved into our town who really didn't have much. Our church really went out of the way to support them and to help them. We gave them job at the kindergarten. They, did, I mean, they were very charismatic people, did a lot of great things for the church. But one day, I don't know what happened. They snapped or 
maybe work of the evil, truly, I can't explain to you what happened in their heart. But they just completely turned around and did a lot of unfathomable stuff. I literally saw my mother crying one year straight every day. It was so painful for her to work with her, to see her in the church, and there in the end, it tore the church apart, left with a lot of people with unfathomable things that I will not articulate all the detail. What am I going to do? As a, I was between my third to sixth grade in the three-year span. I was so desperate. I just did not know what to do. What can I do? I felt so helpless. I love my mom, and seeing her cry every day will make me miserable. Uh, that, I think it was a sixth grader time. After, it's been ongoing for a few years, and then we went to youth retreat. When I say youth retreat, it's Korean style. I mean, it's a boot camp. Uh, it's a spark that there's no game. <laughs> For three days, all we did literally five hours praise and worship, four hours of scripture every day. I mean, literally, that's all that was. So by second day, you completely lose your voice because you've been singing nonstop. And I went there as a miserable man because already my mom and dad are like going through horrible times. I'm crying every day, praise and worshiping, singing my lungs out. But I guess I was just so desperate. I'm like, God, there's nothing I can do. During the praise and worship time, actually, the lead pastor was leading the conference, was leading the session. I literally grabbed his pants. Can you just pray for my church? I need somebody to help me. I don't know what to do. There were like 6,000 youth gathered from all over the nation of Korea. He stopped the whole thing and then prayed for my back home church. I don't know what happened after that. But to, to this day, my mom attributed, Jen, I think God must have heard that prayer that day. So after that, yes, they have left. It was a painful time, but God has restored, and our church is still ongoing. Yes, the scar remains, but his faithfulness still remains. That to this day, out of the desperation sorrow, he has heard our prayer and answered it according to his goodness. I wish he came much sooner. It lasted three years, but nonetheless, God has come through in his own time. Why am I sharing this today, Shelton? Because when you are searching for joy, God, I want to be well. Things are terrible. Things are just not well. Will you go to the Lord? Really? More than you just worrying about it, dwelling on the problem as if you're a hammer trying to fix all the problem. Go to him. And the promised joy is coming in the end. Your sorrow may tarry for the night, but the promised joy is coming because we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what our Lord and Savior did on the cross Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, Shelton, even Jesus endured his hardship because for the promise, the joy. And let us, because he has endured the cosmic heaviness of heart today, because he has demolished the cosmic death, even in our death, even in our longing, we'll learn to have the spiritual buoyancy. It is well, because it will be well. May that promised rest, that hope of God, dwell securely in your heart, and may that truly learn, cause us to say, it is well, my heart will be okay. We can truly say there's joy in the Lord because that's what Jesus has come to give us in this glorious season of Advent. 
What are you searching for today? Are, do you want to be happy? You are looking for something transcendent, and you are looking for Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh God, I lift up those whose hearts are restless this morning. God, we confess that we are searching for joy and happiness in them all the momentary elation on the gift that you have given us, not the one who has given that gift. You, our Lord and Jesus Christ, you have given us life, you have given us breath, but God, we forfeit our joy because our hearts just prone to wander and fix all our attention to our circumstance. So today, Lord, will you encourage us to recalibrate our heart, to fix it, our mind on you? God, when we get so sucked into our own issue, will you teach us to behold the wonder of the cross? Jesus, you have come. Our mighty come. Our mighty king has come in a lowliest position to give us this incredible joy. So God, this weary world rejoices. Our weary heart rejoices because we have this promise to hope. So God, today I lift up our children to you. In this difficult season, potentially for many of us, I pray that there will be calm, tranquil, subterranean river in their soul, in their heart today. That does not fade away by momentary elation, but they will continue to learn to rest in the promise of God. Truly, Jesus has come. He will come again. May that hope cause us to rejoice even in the middle of hardship today because we know that our outcome is secure. In your precious name we pray, amen.